Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. The Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter, and I'm here with Clayton Olson, the brilliant. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. I know it shows up in a lot of people in my practice. I'm, I'm sure, Clayton, it shows up in a lot of people in your practice as well. Um, this is the concept of people-pleasing. Yes. Yeah, it really is quite an affliction. And I think as I've gotten deeper into coaching and I have looked at a lot of the common denominators of the problems that come up in my clients' lives, a lot of it points back, a good majority of it points back to the phenomena that occurs from people-pleasing, from the propensity to people-please, like poor boundary, withholding, um, and external validation. Yeah, and it can cause a lot of suffering in people's lives. So I'm really excited to dig into this and hear what you have to say about it and, and unpack it further. Yeah, and I, I think actually what, what you're saying, some of the, the pain that people experience when they are in a people-pleasing pattern is uh, I think it's really useful to maybe lay out some of those things so that you can know if you're on the lookout. Because while many people can identify themselves as people-pleasers, I think maybe you might have some of the symptoms in your life and not yet have identified that that is why you're, these things are showing up in your life is because you have this kind of a pattern. Uh, but that, so like yep. the poor boundaries or like a lot of times I'll see um, like time. Time is something that's really common in my you know early stage service-based business owners. Time, 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 time. Like there's never enough time for doing things. And I think one of the major reasons that that happens is because they say yes to everything that people ask of them. Um, this happens in corporate America all the time as well. There's a big story of like the hustle and grind, but I think that really a big driver behind that is this people-pleasing uh, sort of modality. Also um, like an unfulfillment that you have in relationships with people where you're not you're not getting what you're wanting out of the relationship i think a lot of times can point back to amongst other things could point back to a people pleasing pattern um are there other things yeah. that i'm missing that that show up yeah resentment resentment's mm. a big one so you know giving to get covert contracts uh doing things not for the sheer purpose of uh being generous and having that be the reward of, of you being generous, but doing things and then secretly hoping that by you doing something, you're you're going to get something back for that action, whether mm-hmm. in relationship or professionally. Yeah, totally. That um, shows up a lot in relationships, actually. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. Another one is withholding, withholding in a relationship. So, oh, oh yeah, I'm not going to give you love or. Yeah, and also like withholding truth, not being willing to actually express what your internal experience is because you're concerned about the backlash. You're not wanting to burden your partner with your feelings. 
Uh, you're not wanting to bring any type of negativity into the experience, quote unquote, mm-hmm. which ultimately ends up making the relationships really fragile. So, uh, yeah, I think those are some really good areas. I'm sure there'll be some more that get unearthed as we talk through this. Yeah, totally. I'm going to make a quick note so I remember to talk about something later. So where do you want to start today? I, I mean, I think a lot of these things are going to resonate with people for sure. And I, I get curious about the like kind of the entry point into this conversation, because I think we could talk about like the underlying cause of what I where I, I see people pleasing coming. Um, we could start to talk about the remedy or some remedies, uh, both strategic remedies and tactical remedies um, that people can go into. Um, but I mean, maybe maybe we start with the, the like the underlying like, where do you think people pleasing comes from? What do you think is the source of this pattern that shows up in people's lives? Well, I would say that it starts in childhood and it's an orientation that is installed in a a small child's life when they begin to realize that if they bring their full authentic self to the table, they are either met with rejection, resistance, abandonment, or conditional love. Mm -hmm. And so when a, a young person starts to make that calculation that they can't actually bring their authentic experience into the relationship that they are absolutely dependent on a relationship they have with their mom or dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it becomes a life-threatening uh, situation. So if I bring anger to the table, if I bring how I'm really feeling to the table, I'm either met with a withdrawal of love or I'm met with some type of maybe discipline or control. Uh, the child self has to make a really quick calculation to make sense of and survive that situation because um, unlike how maybe we feel as, as an adult, we can kind of wrap our logic around it. You know, we can afford to have relationships that aren't authentic fall away. We actually can, but sometimes our nervous system doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, when we're a child, we can't afford to have the relationship with our parent disappear. And so we will twist and distort ourselves into whatever it is that we need to be to make ourselves the source of the problem so that we're not abandoned and so that we can stay intact in that relationship. So we create a foundation of uh, curating, curating our feelings, curating our expression. And then we grow up and we forget about that calculation, that map that we created. And we go out in our uh, (laughs) daily life and we build relationships from a place of compromise. Yeah. That's my. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great point. What I really like about this too, is it helps to, um, to anchor this pattern in something that is, totally understandable. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're a child and you're a dependent and you're growing and you, your, your life is literally dependent on these other people. Well then, I mean, think about what happens when you go into survival mode, right? When like, if there's a loud bang or, you know, something jumps out at you from a lot, you know, what happens is like, you get really focused. You start paying attention to every little detail of what's going on in front of you. And you like, you're like looking for what the threat is. And so if you're doing that, like, when you're, when your parents are withdrawing or your parents are your, the thing that you're depending on and you're like tuning in because your survival depends on them, right? If you're going to notice when they're, when they're happy or when they're sad or when they're disappointed or when they're frustrated or whatever, when they start to pull away and you're going to be building out like a map of like what gets you more of what you want. And that's totally understandable because your, your whole life depends on them. And so when you get a pat on the head when you get good grades. Well, good grades are obviously something to be 
to be moved toward. If they move away from you when you get bad grades, then that's another thing. And we can start to see the, the beginnings of the people-pleasing patterns show up in that way. So what I really like about this model that you're talking about is that it's so understandable and it's so relatable. We can kind of bear hug our, 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 little, our little selves in trying to kind of conceptualize this in the world somehow, you know? It's forgivable. Yeah, exactly. Like we came by it honestly. That's the thing I, I, I love to like remember yeah. about these patterns yeah. that we have that we might not like the way that they're playing out now, but it was once a feature, even if now it's a bug. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, the other thing I that, think that's, go ahead. I think that we're, we're touching on something really important here too, because if we're wanting to make a difference in this podcast and give people even in IOTA, of flexibility around uh, choosing something different than people pleasing, I believe the place we have to start is by loosening the relationship one might have with that part of themselves that people pleases and stop seeing it as an enemy, stop seeing it as uh, this, you know, really horrible part of themselves that just leads to misery. Uh, what you're really running into is limitations as what Ben and I are talking about here. It's, it's a relic of your past. It's, yeah. it's a relic that as a feature at one point. And the thing that I want to say to that too is we were, as you were navigating there, is that it's a way for us to maintain some sense of control as a child. If I press a certain button with myself or with my parents and I get love, and then I press another button and I don't get love, I'm naturally going to be trained into pressing the buttons necessary to get the love, the attention, the presence that I literally need to survive. And so, you know, how can we, just like you're saying, come, we come about this honestly, how can we actually turn against that part of ourselves when we realize that this is just a really brilliant strategy that we executed to still have and maintain a heartbeat and be a functioning adult that can actually listen to a podcast on this at this point. Exactly. And not just that, but like, it's a way for children to have some, I, I want to double click on this control thing that you're talking about. It's like a way for children to have power in the world in a way that they don't actually otherwise have power. It's like, oh, well, maybe I can take some actions and get some semblance of choice or power in my world that I wasn't able. I, we, we were just hanging out with some of our friends the other night and they've got this, uh, she's, I don't know, maybe four, three or four, little, we, and, she, and I asked her if she would hand me a berry and she was like, she got this like little mischievous look in her eyes and she was like, no. And then she like, I think she expected me to like come chase her or whatever, but I could just like, I like just called her out on the power game that it was because, <laughs> because you know, her parents were like, love. what? <laughs> I said, well, I hope you withheld love at that point, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I totally withheld love. No, but I, I, her, um, her parents were like, oh, I give him a berry. And I was like, no, no, it's not about the berries. It's about Genevieve having a little bit of power in her life, you know? And she, and when I called her out on that, she like, <laughs> she like sparkled for a second cause she was like being seen. And then she got really like, she revved it up and she like started running away or whatever. So maybe I ruined their yeah. child forever, but, <laughs> but here's the, the, the thing is that what was important about that moment was that she got to, she got to make an impact in an adult's life, right? Like she got to, she could see that she could have some influence in the world that she wouldn't otherwise maybe be able to have in that way. And I think that that was something that was really empowering for her. And so I, I think being able to move other people in the world is something that like, I don't think it goes away when you become an adult, that desire to be able to move other people. 
And then I think yeah. just the people pleasing pattern is just a way of going about that that maybe isn't always the most advantageous because of the consequences that it it brings with it. What do you think? Yeah, limitation. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it brings us out mm-hmm. of limitations that we're creating and uh, really gets in the way of us being able to create adult relationships where there's vulnerability, authenticity, transparency, and a resilience in the connection where both people can be seen and actually loved. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, because I think at, at its essence, that is what we're, that is what people pleasing is about is love. It's a desire for love. It's a desire to to feel worthy of love. And I think at its root, there is a part of us that always wonders. I heard Gay Hendricks talking about this on uh, actually Sophie's uh, Active Ingredient podcast the other day, which if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It's so mm. awesome. But he was talking about how there's this there's this fundamental. Um, thought that a lot of that most of us have, if not always, then at least at some parts of our lives where it's this questioning of if we're if there's something about us that's fundamentally broken, like something about us that is just fundamentally unlovable. And I think Mm -hmm. that if we if we're feeding that wolf, so to speak, too much, um, that like that can be where this people pleasing pattern comes from is just it's it's some it's trying, it's this part, some part of us that's just trying to be worthy of love in the world, be worthy of acceptance, be worthy of connection, be worthy of other people's attention and affection in the world. And so yeah. that's the part that can be, that we all can give a little sweet little hug to. And then, yeah. Yep. And I think that begins to loosen it up. Yeah. It begins to loosen it up to do something differently. Yeah. And, you know, a point that I'll make to that as well is that, I think when people pleasers and people that struggle with this pattern are contemplating transcending this, uh, sometimes there can be a like, well, I'm going to have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to have to go the other direction and I'm going to have to be a completely heartless asshole. But, um, you know, what I think saying here, yeah, what we're really saying here is that there is. A, a come from with the people pleasing tendency that is the issue. It's not necessarily the actions themselves. You can have somebody who is operating genuinely from a place of generosity and fulfillment in the act of giving. And you have another person who's creating covert contracts in the relationships and the actions on the surface might look very similar, but the come from the set of assumptions that the people pleaser is operating on that are silent and hidden are what the actual problem is, not the behavior itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying we need to change the behavior necessarily. The behavior might change or it might not change, but how do we begin to actually work with the set of assumptions, the beliefs and the identity level narrative that are the, the bedrock that spawn forth this behavior? And yeah. you know, let's, I'll just one of the beliefs here, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. This might be a good place to just open up is like, what yeah. are some of the things you think that these that people pleasers are believing is true that then spawn forth this behavior. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll throw one out there. So one of them I would see is that uh, the, well, the child self makes a belief that I have to be a good little boy or a good little girl in order to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that manifests later on later in life is I, I have to be a good person, but I have to be seen as a good person mm-hmm. because if I'm not seen as a good person, that throws me into a state of panic and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then another one that might be present is also, I can't be okay unless you're okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So I'm curious, you, just hearing a couple of those, is there anything that you think people might be believing along with that, that is, uh, you know, the scaffolding that, yeah. that create this pattern? Yeah. I think one of the subconscious beliefs is that if I'm my genuine self, nobody's going to like me. If I show up nice. as my real, yeah. my real self, no one will like me. No one will love me. I'm unlovable. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think they're, they're, I think they, that seems to cover the gamut pretty well. What you're, what you've said here that there, that there has to be some exchange in order for love that, that, that that's mm -hmm. kind of the medium for love is exchange of something. Right. It's, it's almost like, you know, I once heard, um, back in the, back in the days when I was studying the social dynamics, you know, it, it's, it's really, uh, a difficult start to a relationship to walk up and offer to buy somebody a drink to talk to them. Because what you're saying subconsciously is I don't believe that my time is worth the same thing as your time. And so let me buy you something to make up for that time. And so then now we've created kind of a power dynamic. That's a little bit weird in the beginning when you're first getting to know somebody. Right. And I think that that is kind of the underlying assumption in a lot of the people pleasing like modalities and the come from that you're talking about is this, I have to do things for other people in order for them to like me or for me to be worthy of, of like. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have to do things. Yeah. And just be, I have to do things in order to be loved. Yeah. Yeah. And another one too, I think would be, um, other people's opinions of me matter more than my own. Mm. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. Right. And so I think that points to this, this external validation, this, this external referencing that's happening within the people pleasers mind, right? Where I'm, I'm looking out into the world and I'm noticing how people see me in order to find my own sense of identity. Mm. And therefore if people are seeing me in a way in which I want them to see me. I can be okay. But if people start to not see me in that way, I really don't know where I stand with myself. And so I think a lot of people pleasers struggle with anxiety because of this, because ultimately what they're doing is with this external referencing game is they put the lotus of their own well-being in somebody else's hands that they have no control over. And so they're yeah. naturally creating empowerment, which creates anxiety in their being in, in all of their relationships or most of their relationships. Yeah. And what's interesting, I, I had a a client put, say this yesterday. I thought this was really interesting. So we, we were talking about kind of a people pleasing pattern and, and it's like you show up for other people so that they'll like you. And then what happens is we're like, we're putting on this, this facade so that other people will like us. And then, you know, I think the, the, the conversation that was going something like this, I was like, well, if you're doing that, you're cutting yourself off from all these other people who might actually like the real you, if you just showed up the way that you are, right? Because if the person that you're with, if they are only liking you because you're, you're putting on this facade, right? Then, yeah. then you're hanging out with somebody who doesn't really like you that you don't, you probably don't really like them either. Cause you're just like not in alignment. And, and she said, actually, it's so much worse than that because then if they, even if they do like you, right? You tell yourself the story. Well, they don't actually like the real me because they don't even get to see the real me. Right. So it's like this double-edged sword. You cannot win with this yeah. pattern. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Rough, rough. Um, that has me think just also too, like the, anybody changing this pattern has got to be ready for their lives to shift drastically because those relationships that are not based on your authentic self are going to fall away. 
or they're going to transform in a new dance that might be really uncomfortable. At, at least so, at first, in the way that anything new is uncomfortable yeah. at first, right? Yeah. Brushing your teeth left-handed is uncomfortable, right? It's not that brushing your teeth is uncomfortable, it's that you haven't done it left-handed probably, unless you're left-handed and, or you've practiced. <laughs> but you get my point, right? Doing things new, it can be uncomfortable, right? So, and, and I just wanna hold space for that to be okay because that's just the way that it is when you're doing something new, when you're building new neural pathways. Right. Yeah. 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 Love it. So I feel like we've done a great job at talking about the origins, opening the hood on the people pleasing engine and beginning to kind of look at the gaskets and the ways the circuitry yeah. connects to itself. You know, we can kind of see the brilliance of it. We can also see the limitations of it. Um, I'm curious. So, you know, you talked about strategies and behaviors. Uh, does it make sense to move into that and talk yeah. about, you know, yeah. how does someone, once they be aware of this now, like, what do we do about it? Yeah. And I would also love to hear your, your thoughts on this. That's one of my favorite parts about this podcast. But so for, for me, my, my like kind of ultimate solution to this, which has its own strategies and tactics, but my sort of the ultimate essence of the solution is radical self-center. So becoming the center mm -hmm. of your universe and just, which is, it's funny to even say it becoming the center of your universe, because look around right now, literally look in any direction you want to, and you are the center right now. You are already the center of your universe. We just play this game where we start to pretend that we're not somehow, which you can't even actually do because you're always localized in the center of your experience, right? And so, um, so this concept of radical self-center is to just recognize that you are the center of your universe. You are the person that matters the most to you, no matter what else happens, no matter how important other people are to you, even a child, because this is the thing that people will always say, well, oh, no, my kids matter more to me than me. And it's like, well, that can't be true, because if you're if you were to suddenly cease being, you wouldn't be able to contribute to your children's lives at all in any way. That's the classic, like, put your mask on first before you put your kids mask on. Right. And so um, you are the essential, most important part of your life, because anything else in your life that derives any value to you at all is because it derives it from that sense of self, from your localized body, your values, the things that are important to you, the things that feel good to you, that sort of thing. So that's kind of my like more like esoteric cool. answer that can then play out in certain ways. But I'd be curious to hear how you think about navigating it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll throw out like a, just a meta concept here. Um, one of the invitations that I give the clients that I work with is to notice the, 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 the cave that they don't want to enter. Mm. Right? Yeah. So if you think about a people or somebody who's in this pattern, there's a, there's a place where they don't want to go. There's a, there's a place within themselves that they feel is intolerable, that they're constantly trying to avoid through the reactionary behavior of people pleasing. And the moment they can become comfortable going into that cave and actually being there and developing a relationship with that spot, the reactionary behavior can stop. Mm. And now what is this cave? What might this cave be? So for a lot of people, the, the cave is actually the shadow of the people pleaser, which is being the selfish person, the selfish one. Mm. And so there's, if, and this is how people pleasers can get manipulated. And I actually see this happen a lot in uh, my relationship work is that a lot of people pleasers that have come to me, a large majority of them that are trying to break that pattern have gotten out of a relationship with a narcissist. Narcissist, exactly. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's like, so well, common. why is that? Why, 
why does that happen? Yeah. And it's because the, the narcissist in some ways embodies the shadow quality that is the exact teaching for the people pleaser. Mm. The narcissist embodies a distorted selfishness, right? A cancerous selfishness. Right on. But the, what it teaches the people pleaser is that in order for the people pleaser to kind of break out of that relationship, they have to learn to become selfish to say no, enough is enough and walk away. So in some ways, the narcissist becomes a teacher or the people pleaser that evokes a selfishness and for that people pleaser to walk away. What often happens, though, is a people pleaser feels so damn guilty walking away from the narcissist that, you know, they get stuck in this loop where they, they can't do it. They're obsessing about the person. But just beginning to reorient and realize that, like, actually, the, the narcissistic energy that was so attractive to the people pleaser is a disowned quality. There's a disowned quality of your own of your own sovereignty, of your own selfishness that is being evoked and asked to come online. Uh, that can be a really powerful orientation that one can take to start to become more integrated in their relationships. Mm, interesting. It's so interesting that dynamic too, because because then you have this um, you have this sort of um, sort of representation, metaphorical representation of like the infant is the narcissist, right? The, the total focus of all things is on the narcissist's mind, right? And then you have the, the balancing pattern of the martyr mother or whatever that comes in to sacrifice the, the parents sacrifices themselves totally for the child. Right. And then it's just like, you have this feedback mechanism for this like archetypal, uh, you know, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This equation that just kind of plays out totally. Yeah. yeah. So just to wrap that up, the, the cave that somebody that is, is a people pleaser is not wanting to enter is the one of allowing other people to see them as selfish, allowing other people to see you as an asshole or self-centered. Mm. And the more freedom that that person can give others to have their own experience of you, the more that you can be set free to not be locked into this reactionary place. So it's about getting comfortable in, in the crucible of just prioritizing self, which is in some ways like kind of an indirect way or just another layer of what you're talking about, which is radical self uh, navigating of you called it radical self-centeredness. Yeah. Radical self-center. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I mean, and that's the essence of it, right? Is, is like, cause it's not about being an asshole to other people. It's about being okay with the possibility that other people might think whatever the fuck other people might think about you in the world, but you're prioritizing what is important to you in the world. Cause here's the thing that a lot of, a lot of times we're, we don't play this at this game all the way out. We don't realize this kind of logical pathway that happens, which is <clears throat> look, if you actually think that you are a bad person, how does that match? If you really think you're a bad person, then why would you care about what other people think in the first place? Right? Mm -hmm. If you're actually a bad person, why do you give a shit about what other people think? Aren't so it's like, there's a paradox within the very thought that like, if I show myself I'm a bad person, right? Cause it's like, if you're actually the kind of person who doesn't give a shit about other human beings, you don't spend any time giving a shit about other human beings. <laughs> you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think about that. Right. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's like people who say money is the root of all evil. It's like, so you're saying if you had a lot of money, you would do evil with it. Well, no, not me, not me. And it was like, yeah, great. So there you go. That's personal power as well. Right. That's what we're talking about yeah. is like, it's like being in your personal power 
if you're your essence, okay, if you're your essential self, yeah, well, yeah, if, if your essential self would do harm to other people, then great, like being okay with that. But for most people, especially people pleasers, that is not gonna be your default state. You're, if you let your real self out, it's not that you're gonna go and hurt people, okay? And so the flip side is that we can't please everyone, right? So you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Literally every cup of, everybody has their own favorite flavor of cup of teas. And there's like a range of teas that they might like. And then there'll be a range of teas that they don't like. And that's just the nature of human experience, right? That everybody likes mm. different things. And so if you let yourself out, if you become radically self-centered and you, and you truly express who you are in a situation, not from a place of being an asshole, but from a place of being centered in yourself and okay if the people around you right now don't like you, knowing that there are an infinite number of other people out there in the world that you can find who might like you, right? Based on just who you are already, right? That's the power I think of being radically self-centered is to just like recognize that you you are the source, you are the essence of your reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that land? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I love the, the mind game of what you said there that uh, if you're so concerned with being a bad person, if you acted like yourself, you're not really a bad person because <laughs> the bad person have that concern, which is, it's a really nice mind trick to, to fuck with something. Someone's thinking if they're in that loop, I love it. Um, yeah. Something that came up two things as I, as you were speaking and uh, love to hear your thoughts on these two. So one that's related, very directly related to what you were talking about, finding your, your kind of center. And I'm thinking to myself as you're speaking too, and you know, what are ways that one can, create or let's say know that they're um, operating from their self center or their their center of gravity. And <clears throat> I think that uh, what I've noticed is that people that are not people pleasers typically have a set of principles that they operate from regardless of what the external world is doing. Yep. So it's creating a set of principles, uh, a way like your own kind of ethics, your own uh, values your and own living in a rather than living in allegiance to what people are thinking of you. Because I think people-pleasing can easily lead to a chameleoning, right, of I'm turning into the, I mean, I'm just showing the side of myself that I think that person needs to see, where when we have a set of principles that I'm operating under, you know, I've, I've planted my staff and I've got a logic to how I know that I need to operate so that I can be happy with myself versus mm -hmm. having happy with me. The other piece I wanted to put out there too is just, that I think a lot of folks, if they really adopted this belief, it would change so much for them in terms of how they show up in relationship, which is to see that your authentic self and expressing your preferences and allowing all of your emotions to be present, all of you to be present in relationship is the greatest contribution you can make to your relationships. Yeah, Because exactly. if I'm hiding and curating myself, I'm actually abandoning my partner. I'm, I'm parts of myself are abandoning my partner and I'm not ever actually allowing those parts to be healed by being seen and being loved. And I'm also creating a dynamic with my partner where I'm saying that it's actually not okay for maybe even you to bring all of yourself to me. Mm -hmm. And so when I go all in on a relationship or when anybody goes all in on a relationship, it means you're bringing all of you to the table, which creates an avenue for them to do the same if they're not already doing it, which then just creates 
resilience, anti-fragility, and a kind of alchemy that can occur in the relationship where you can metabolize fights, you know, and you can actually work through conflict and get to know each other and learn to prioritize new things in life and grow together. So you don't I think a lot of people pleasing relationships are, that are tiptoeing. Around. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I do think a lot of relationships with people that are people pleasers, the relationships are static. They're, they're not actually growing. Right. Because the, there's an avoidance that's happening within the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're tiptoeing around each other and just not, not ever actually interacting with the other authentic person that's there. It'd be like yeah. two people dancing on a dance floor pretending that they're dancing together, but neither one of them is aware of the other person's center. And so you, there would be no, there could only be the illusion of dancing happening there. Mm, right? Interesting. Yeah. Cause that's like what makes dancing yeah. happen with somebody else is that, you know, where the other person's center is, their center of gravity is. Mm. And your own simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's, that's the whole thing is we're pushing our centers against one another in dancing. That's like what's happening. And so it's like, I, yeah. I love dancing as a metaphor for a relationship. Because it's so yeah. beautiful. I mean, there, there's like a stable, there's a stable center and that's what allows all of the cool whirlings and, you know, pushes and pulls and all that mm. stuff to happen is that there's these stable centers that are meeting each other. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think, that's why I think the, the, et go ahead. I was going to say that I could see that in a relationship with two people pleasers, which I don't think actually works. Mm -mm. I, I very rarely two people, both people pleasing in a relationship. Um, mm. And when it does happen, there is no center. And oftentimes it would collapse into codependency then. Yeah. I mean, if two people pleasers are together, think about all those narcissists out there that aren't getting their needs met. All right. So this has been a great conversation, Clayton. Um, I, I love it. I think we can definitely do parts two through eight on this. Uh, it's such, such an important topic. Um, I love the way that we've come together and discussed it today. Any final thoughts or any conclusion conclusions that you'd like to add? Um, no, I just hope that everybody listening really likes Ben and I, and that we didn't <laughs> ruffle anybody's stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because I wouldn't be able to live my, myself if that was the case. So me either, man, I'm going to go cry myself into my pillow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, this is a really great conversation. And if you have any other questions or if you, uh, I mean, if you want to figure out those things, cause, cause again, the, the figuring out your center, I think is something that's really important about this. So your core values, those principles that Clayton's talking about, like what are the ways, what's the ethic that you navigate your life by and deciding that that is the most important thing, because you will find people that that will align with your ethic and with your values in the world. And those people, you will just be able to be yourself and they'll love you and you'll love them because they will follow a similar ethic uh, and value. And those people mm -hmm. exist out there. And if you haven't found them yet, that's only because you've been hiding who you truly are. And you've only been drawing in people that match with that supposed ethic or value yeah. set. Yeah. Cool. And I'll say this too, just to wrap, to wrap that is that, yeah, your authentic self is the honing beacon that, dog whistles out the people that are your actual tribe that are your, yeah. uh, right. And if you're not, if you're people pleasing, you're not letting the dog whistle rip right on to find those. So yeah, see it as a, see it dropping the people pleaser pattern as a major contribution to your life. Get comfortable with the difficult emotions that come up with dropping that pattern and realize that it's all growth, uh, designed to aid you in your evolution of mastering relationship. Right on. I love that. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for this. I look forward to part two of this topic. It's really good. Um, and have a live your freedom, love your life kind of day, everyone. Awesome.
Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.